The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. They've supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. And for that reason, they've teamed up with Saracens and England hooker Jamie George. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Hello and welcome back to the podcast formerly known as The Ruck. I'm hoping at this point that Alex, our canny producer, will be overlaying this intro with funeral music. Some Mozart would be nice or a bit of Nimrod. But I'm told that top funeral hits are Frank Sinatra's My Way, which would certainly be appropriate. It is Eddie's Way or the Highway right now, let's face it. Or Vera Lynn will meet again, which is a nice idea, but please can we all now have a break? Of course, we do meet again on the first day of the 2019 Six Nations, Ireland, England and Dublin, which is already looking like a bit ouch. So this week's edition of the podcast, formerly known as Ruck, is called The Autopsy. We were going to call it The Breakdown, as in broken down, but... It wasn't very funny, Slotty. That's Alex Lowe, who actually predicted that Ireland would win on Saturday by how many, Alex? Uh, I went for nine points. And how many did they win by? Nine points. Ah, well done you. Smug. Smug old Alex. I thought it it felt like rather a lot more. Um, uh, But there was that consolation try at the end, or do we call that never say die England bravely battling on to the end? Uh, Stephen Jones isn't here today. He is just fed up. Yeah, and and on the subject of consolation or never say die, uh, I was sitting next to Jonesy and it was definitely, definitely not... Never say die. Default position for Steve. Uh, thanks, Barnsley. That's Stuart Barnes. Um, battered <laughs> and, and wealthy from Cheltenham, I gather, Barnsley, correct? Extremely battered and with a few more pounds than I came with. But I will say this. Um, I backed Ireland in a, a gentleman's bet with Michael O'Leary of Ryanair, who took England. So I've got £50 back from that outstanding company. So we have a happy Englishman amongst us, kind of. I want to bet on this one as well. I drunkenly bet someone that if England won, I would have to get my ear pierced. Um, but Ireland won, so um, my ears are safe now wow. for the but, duration. So. And that's Alan Dimmock looking beautiful as ever. Thank you. Uh, Alan, Thank you. Thanks, Unadorned. Th- thanks for joining us again. That's Alan from Rugby World. And um, haven't we agreed that the, the best ball-carrying prop ever to appear on this podcast? Uh, on this podcast, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Alex Barnsley and myself were at Twickenham on Saturday and you were, Alan, you had a right treat, I gather. Yeah, I was at the procession that was Wales versus France, the curtain closer for these six nations. What Um, a lucky man. What an event it was. 
So much so that, and of course everyone was watching it, so I don't think I have to talk about it at any point. But, so but you, you were at the heart of the action because Saturday was essentially a thrilling battle for fourth place between England and France. Absolutely, and no one, no one epitomised that, that battle to the death better than uh, Matthew Bassero, who got a lot of praise for running into brick walls but, and winning turnovers, but France still hope, somehow managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, how bad were France? Um, I think we can safely say now the book is closed on whether or not France need to discover an any fly half. Because bringing Francois Tranduc back from the brink has done absolutely nothing. And he did the most Francois Tranduc thing I've ever seen. He snapped an absolutely fantastic <coughs> drop goal right at the start of the game. And then in exactly the next play, within a minute, allowed the ball to bounce over his head and for Wales to score a try to take the lead. Classic. France generally, to me, seem to seem to have potential. Uh, younger players coming through. If I was a French fan looking ahead to Japan, I'd be more optimistic than if I was an English fan. Oh, right I, in there. I haven't said that for <laughs> ten years. We talked about Tran Duke, uh, and it is true, you know. But this guy Camille Lopez is a good player. We've seen so many players who are out a long time. They come back. They come back better. We've got the young wonder kid as well who we don't know about. So they sort fly half out. They're not in a bad situation. That's that's the thing. They've got three of those young fly halves, actually, that Barnes is talking about there. They've got Matthew Jalabert, Roman Intermac, who was an absolute... Who, you know, the family name rings a lot of bells with us. But he's been running the cutter for the under-20s and looks a fantastic pro- prospect. And they've got Anthony Bellew. The thing is, those three guys are so very young. It's whether or not they can keep Camille Lopez fit. If you could be... Uh an English, French, Irish, Welsh or Scottish fan at the moment, who would you rather be? Okay, probably all agree Irish. Irish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you couldn't be Irish, what would you be? Welsh, I think. They've had a lot of key players missing. Uh, they've changed their game radically from playing narrow stuff down the middle, kick and chase defensive play, to playing with more width. I think a year from now, Wales will have the capacity to either play wide or to play a driving game through the middle. Uh, their tight five play is still okay with Alan Wynne-Jones outstanding they've developed uh, strength and depth in the back row that even New Zealand would be pleased with I think Warren Gatlin will be very pleased with what's happened in the Six Nations well, Ponzi don't you think if you, as an England fan you see, the, you see the collection of players they've got well, I'm not seeing it. I, 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 but you saw it last year ok well, you on, saw no, it two years ago no, hang on what, what I saw when they won the Grand Slam was a team where the collective was far better than the individual talent. And we're looking for... We're always talking, aren't we, about this core of four or five world-class players. I'm really sorry, but we've come out of this tournament and Farrell's borderline, and other than that, Mario Otoje's gone backwards. You could argue whatever reason, but the reality on the ground at the moment is, what are the players? I could see far more... Welsh players who look world class and English players, hmm. so I just I don't see that at the moment. I, Daly might get there, but we, we've got a very exciting back three. But if they're marooned out wide, that counts for nothing. I guess what I'm asking do you do you see? Yeah, I mean, Itoji has gone backwards. Mako Vunapola is definitely not making the impact that, that he, he has done and he can mm. do. But do you see them being like that forever, or do you see this as a as a dip from which they can? Respond, because Sotti's question is going through to the World Cup. Yeah, I know. Is there optimism, or do you think this is a, set, a permanent setback? To, to be positive now would be to, would be to be stupid. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Uh, that's not to say they can't turn it around, but right now the evidence is really bad. 
uh, last season they won the title but their performance levels were starting to dip this season their performance levels have continued to dip and they're losing matches the individuals aren't coming through the collectives fallen to pieces you know sometimes it's no good just saying well let's just move on it's a sort of Blairism when everything's fallen apart and it's fallen out of your trousers and you say don't give me criticism things are bad for England yeah I thought I thought Eddie Jones's attempt to brush over it by claiming this was the most beneficial six nations that England have had was was um, offensive to to the rugby public offensive to the fans who spent 160 quid to be there to watch the team win to claim that the, claim the internal mechanisms are, are improving but the team are losing he, he, was, was, he, he was talking about stuff that just trying to confuse and befuddle people I mean it, yeah. I don't know if he was if he was told that this was smart to say and, and indeed I don't really know what you're supposed to say after a defeat like that how much of it's just bad improv though because he hasn't you know, he's talking about this well, podcast. Well, no, no, absolutely not. With Eddie, well, it's the, no, absolutely not. Not with that fine script at the very top hey. of the show. Um, but because the way he'd started off with these Six Nations, you know, we all remember when there was the build-up to that very first game, and he was in such a safe position that he could say that there was opposition against him when there hadn't been. You know, to try and get present that them against us feeling, then it is truly them against us because they've lost three games on the bounce, and he doesn't seem to. You know, is it, how much of that is him going? I don't know which way the wind is blowing here, so I'll just say whatever comes to the next in my head. I think I think is well, he's he's making it up badly as we know. Just 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 finish that. Would you, Alex, Alan? Would you be uh, an England fan, or a Wales fan, or a Scotland fan? This premise. I don't enjoy this premise because I'm okay. A firm, you don't have to join. No, in, I'm, firm, I'm firm believer we'll that. come back to more no, premises when you're it's, ready. It's mainly it's mainly purely because I've grown grown up north of the wall, and you, the sad fact is you don't get to choose who you support. Neutral journalist, obviously. Or you could you could find uh, like I did amazingly uh, a granny from Nelson at the tip of the South Island in New Zealand, and uh, that's changed my rugby supporting ever since. Really, are you the All Black Ten that they never had? <laughs> I might be the French one. On. Certainly not the all black one. The revelations on this podcast. <laughs> Just on to the autopsy. So let's go, go back to one essential question we'll get through. Uh, a year ago, rather 14 months ago, uh, before England were beginning the defence of, of what was their Grand Slam, uh, Eddie Jones warned his team of the example of Leicester City, uh, the team that had reached the top and then tumbled down the other side. Um, Claudio Ranieri, Ranieri, of course, got, was sacked. Now England have got down, have tumbled down the other side. Likewise, D- does anyone here feel that, that that should happen with Eddie Jones? First of all, that's a daft analogy. Leicester City. Thank you, Barnsley. Thank you. From Eddie Jones. No, I appreciate that. It, it, it's a daft <laughs> analogy that uh, Jones came up with for the simple reason: England are the most resourced team in world rugby. It would be like Manchester City winning this. With Guardiola this season. No, I agree. Then, Sorry, I thought you were attacking that. my premise there. Not yeah, at all. Absolutely. No, no, yeah. I never we're would attack your premises. Definitely. Uh, no, it would be like next season, Manchester City finishing tenth and and falling away. That would be a fair analogy. This one's not because that would be more like saying. I, know, that's what not, I didn't ask if it was a good analogy. I asked if Eddie Jones should be sacked. Okay, I'll cut <laughs> to the chase. Um, <laughs> he's a year out from the World Cup. A year and a half out from the World Cup, England are in an absolute mess. Um, it would be folly not to raise the question. That is not the same as saying he should be, but certainly the question should be raised. Eddie Jones came in and in the space of a year turned England around. So who's to say that if Eddie Jones has lost the plot now, someone else couldn't come in and do what Eddie Jones did? 
I think um, I think there's a really interesting development behind the scenes at Twickenham over the next week or two will be fascinating because there's going to be a review. He'll have to present his his own um, analysis of what went wrong to the board and to the PGB. And as I see it at the moment, there's not a single person at the RFU who questions Eddie Jones or stands no. up to Eddie Jones no. or puts him under any pressure to justify decisions that he makes or money that he spends. And Stephen Brown, who's not been long in the, in the chief executive seat, who who came in with an, a winning England team and awarded him an extended contract, partly, I think, because there was nowhere else to turn and to end, end the questions about who's going to succeed Eddie Jones between now and the World Cup. But it's been it's been easy for him so far, and someone needs to needs to ask those questions that isn't that you talking about. Isn't, isn't that slightly the the RFU slash England model for for two decades now? I mean, yeah. Stuart Lancaster was in there, and he had, and and he had no one to, to to set him right. He was in charge of even Martin, more than Eddie. Ma- Martin, Martin Johnson, Johnson was promoted rookie. with with no experience at all, and had no right hand man to set him straight when he was turning left and should have gone right. I mean, it's it, I mean that is. Well, that's that's the old madness thing, isn't it? Repeating the mistake it, and never it's learning. A, it's a slightly different structure this time because I think Lancaster did have strong men around him who who he turned to. Perhaps perhaps deferred too much to to Farrell and, 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 and Roger. Whereas yeah. Eddie, yeah. Eddie doesn't do that at all. It's his it's, as you, it's as you said in your scripted autoc- autocracy. intro. It's it's his way or the highway, and and I don't think there's anyone at the RFU who has so far challenged him at all. Do you, do and you now's think- the time that that at least has to happen to get the answers. Because if, if, if he's going to be the man to, to turn it around, and the other he, needs thing, to, he needs to show do you think? And the other thing with that as well, though, is that there's been musical chairs with so many people behind the scenes, staff at the RFU that have worked with Eddie Jones that have gone out a swinging door. Um, and yet we've still, and if you if you read Stuart Barnes' column today in the Times about the coaches and the feelings... You can call me Stuart, made, That's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's a good they, column, by the way. Yeah, it's a good column. While you recover uh, he from being, that. He hates that being told that um, But... Those guys, there's not been that much musical chair with them. There's been um, extra assistants that have come in to advise on attack and kicking and scrummaging and and such like. But the the core guys are there. Maybe at what what, what point do we start seeing Eddie Jones going? Oh, well, maybe there's time for a bit of musical chairs with the support coaches so, as well. I, I agree, but he he's there. There you come to the, his loyalty slash belligerence thing. As in, you know, I believe in in my decisions initially. <laughs> yeah. um, but but also on on that subject of of the coaches, as you say, Alex. So so Stuart Lancaster, he did defer and um, he 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 did selection almost by democracy. He was he was always in charge, but he would he sat in the room with uh, with Roundtree and Farrell and Mike Cat, and he wants to know exactly what they thought. Do you th- do you think? That, that I mean, to what extent do you think selection is is at all on who Steve Borthwick should be uh, running the line out that week, or do, do these guys even get a say? Do you think? I think Borthwick might get a say, might get a say, particularly around the line out. But I, I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of feedback that, that Eddie would take on board from from the others. Um, and then it comes, so I think it hangs on him. And then the decisions, the tactical decisions, that. You know, you decide to play against Ireland and, and kick everything for the corner with a driving ball that isn't, isn't going anywhere. Um, Steve Borthwick—that's his—that's his area. But I—I I just don't, I don't feel that, that Eddie operates a kind of structure whereby he particularly takes on board um, opinions from below. He—it's more—it's more that he gets them to do what he wants. When you think about it, there's a logic. Eddie Jones has got his three main coaches aren't not the. Not guys with huge experience. Yes, Gustard's done great things with Saracens, but there's no international experience there. Steve Borthwick, 
Mm. He was a bolt out of the blue in Japan, went to Bristol, England called him back. Not had much time as an international coach. Well, he, he, Sporthwick was an England coach within a year of retiring as a player. Mm. Yes, yes, he was. He was, but yeah. his experience levels are not huge. And then you come to Neil Hatley, who, you know, you, you, all due respect, you couldn't say Neil has been at the at the top of the game. You know, he, he, he's not referred to as a scrum doctor, is he? There was a, there was a, um, a story that Paul Gossard told at the end of, it was in the second fallow week, just, just maybe as an example of the the relationship we were talking to him about the Wales game and and how England's defence apart from the, the try that wasn't was 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 pretty good that day and I asked him whether when he f- and he was explaining that it's a feel thing and you know you just know if you're not going to get broken blah 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 I said to him when you if do you see that in your team and if you do do you do your shoulders kind of relax a bit in the stand and he said not with Eddie Jones sitting two meters away from me it's like the sword of Damocles yeah and then, yeah, yeah. And then he referred back to the summer tour of Australia when um, the first test of, in, in Australia and he said within 10 minutes of the game I got the look from Eddie that I, I got it wrong. So it, it doesn't feel, when he, t- when he tells a story like it doesn't feel like it's a collaborative effort. It's They're always having to prove themselves to him. When you're getting text messages at four in the morning as well yeah. telling you what you need to work on, it's hard to feel relaxed at any point I imagine. Well Eddie has this theory that, that, that he wants people to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable. You live in that eternal feeling yeah. of, of, mm. of slight uncertainty and, and that's so counter to, to almost any sort of high performance business and sporting environment to, to my understanding. You want people to, to feel they have to perform but you want, also want people to feel confident and that they're believed in all the time. And I think Eddie's always sort of making people feel that he doesn't completely believe in them. Well, it doesn't help when you've got to face down a kickoff and you're already shaking like a dog that's been given laxatives. But the, the sheer idea of going through the game worrying about what, what people are going to think of it. Uh, I was speaking to Alex before we came on here and he talked about, um, what was the quote um, about um, Ireland's halftime record? Yeah, Johnny May said that the players had been told by Eddie Jones that if, if Ireland are leading at halftime, they win 95% of, they, of their matches. So the last thing that England could be doing was to fall behind early. Now, what a millstone that is to have around your neck. To have that going through your head when you're supposed to be focusing on performance is an extra bit of thought process you don't need. So mm. 21-5 down at half-time. Absolutely. I think England pretty much knew that that was that. There's always a flip side, though. and I think we are now chasing Eddie Jones a little bit. And one thing I would say here... My criticism here is, is, is not just because they've lost three games, it's because the performances have been dipping for a long time. You know, it, we're too quick to praise when you win and play badly. We mustn't be too quick to damn when yep, you lose fair. and play badly. But the perform- lose and play reasonably well. They haven't played reasonably well, and that is the issue. Outstanding Irish team, we should say that, but England did not push them all the way. You were quite right earlier, Owen. That was a, a false result, nine-point defeat at Twickenham. So on the Eddie Jones situation, you know, the, there are two sides. And I, I can see he'd be concerned that England don't always start very well. He'll think back to the Scotland game um, and he will think we cannot afford to be like that. We'll be out of the game. So there is a logic in what he's saying. And there's also, um, amongst international players, there has to be a mental toughness to be able to withstand the pressure. I think there is a level where you've got to say... I put him under pressure, but he's still feeling confident. There's the pressure to perform, and, and there's the pressure that is over the top. And, and I don't think he's that far from being on the right balance. 
but every now and again, and I think it happened Saturday, he just tipped over the edge. I think I mean, this conversation <clears throat> began with, should he be sacked? Uh, no, I don't think he should be sacked, but I do think... I don't think he should be sacked. Should it be considered? I mean, that was... Well, the, I, I, th- I think... The question, should the question be brought into the debate in the RFU? Well, uh, if, that, if that's the start of a conversation as to where, it, where it's gone wrong... Um, I think he should be in the room. Uh, um, should it be asked? I, I don't. I, well, I don't think he should be sacked. So, I, so I, probably the question is, is irrelevant in, in my head. But uh, they would be. They would do well to focus on it because I think I think they are. If you have this history of of thinking they found found the answer or, or a, a savior, and, and then and then take a, a deep breath and wait for the next World Cup to come along. But I, unfortunately, the um, disaster hit, hit has hit eighteen months early this time. I th- yeah, I think. Stuart's point does stand though in that it wouldn't be a proper review it wouldn't be a proper robust review if asked. that was not a question on it I mean you can dismiss it quickly and go right there's, there's, it's been a disaster this we'll see what happens after lots of players are refer- refreshed and let's yep, see what yep. his strategic plan is after that bring him in and let's say what are your plans to, to right this ship but I think you know, it has to be a, a question as part of the review but it can't even be it can't be dismissed quickly it was an all conquering fantastic bounce back from the depth of the World Cup in 2015 it was an outstanding tour to Australia. Ever since then, England have been drifting backwards and okay. they have been going downhill. And it's 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 two years of poor performance and one year of dreadful results. That cannot be just overlooked. As it's fine, carry on. No, I agree. So, so what? Um, so so what if in the review, Eddie says the stuff that he said after the game, as in. Ireland, England. It was even Stevens. The whole campaign. It was our best learning campaign since I since I took over. All this stuff about we're further ahead than, than we than we were before. What if he says stuff like that at that point? Do you, do you um, call the wet men in white coats? I mean, at that point, you have to say, well, "Sorry, it, you can't stay." It's an insult. It's an insult to intelligence, isn't it? You know, well, yes. The, it the is, age of yeah. reason is dead if Eddie says that. In all seriousness. Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses because Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Reese Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, we've been up and running for about six years now and sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle.
Okay, so 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 moving on. So so we're assuming that Eddie will stay. How how deep is this trough they're in, and do we think that England can find a way out of it in eighteen months' time? It's uh, San Andreas fault deep, and no, they can't. Um, this is a, a massive setback. Said earlier. Um, so you think the World Cup's gone? Yeah, I think the World Cup's gone now. Let's put it right. If if it wasn't England and there were a team playing in white and we've seen what they perform, how they've performed this year, they would be dismissed out of sight. If Scotland were England or Wales were England and they had played as England had played this season, would one of us even ask the question, could they be contenders next year? Not a chance. But you can't. But but in so, in saying that, you're you're ignoring the recent history of. <clears throat> a grand slam, the three 0 over Australia, and last year's championship, and and, and I, I am agreeing with everything you said about the fact that they've dropped off ever since Australia. But the point, the, the point that, that that I uh, that I believe in, I don't want to say clinging on to because that means I'm yeah, setting yeah. hope by it. But but there were there are big players there who achieved big things, and you saw that on the Lions tour. And I don't think you can suddenly say that that is irrelevant. <laughs> You look at the Lions tour, still, you come away from that tour, the Lions collectively were very good. I would be hopeful that Maro Atoje can rediscover his form. This guy is potentially world-class, he's had a bad year, everyone has bad seasons, I understand that. It's a question about why, but he can come back to it. You look at the the front row, Mako Vinopola, he has not remedied his problem, which is scrummaging. It's pretty important. We haven't found a seven. We haven't found a collective way to handle the breakdown. We haven't got a number nine. Ford and Farrell, in my view, is England's only way. Farrell goes to ten. What have we got then? We've got nothing in the centre, no balance. We're left with one area of the field where if they go Watson, May and Daly, you say that is a world-class attacking zone. Outside of that, the whole thing looks to me to be a shambles, collectively and individually. And if anyone could come and say... These players have developed. I want to know who. Etoje has gone backwards, but he's potentially world-class. Farrell is playing with a level of consistency, and I would say Elliot Daly, since he's come back, has looked the bee's knees. That's it. Alex, you, you, is, this, is the World Cup gone? I mean, this is um, uncomfortable listening for some people. Pret- I pretend, pretend they're not England. Think about a team that's played exactly as England have done and be honest in your assertion. But, but you, you're assuming that they can't play the way they played in 2016 next year? Well, we've got two years now of evidence that suggests they're going backwards. So the logic of that is, yes, because yeah. 2016, Eddie Jones has said it himself, it was the easiest year because of the catastrophe, sporting catastrophe, sorry, it's no catastrophe, it's only a game. The sporting catastrophe that was the World Cup when the England management uh, and the England team uh, combusted. Also, it was actually a poor Six Nations that year. If you remember, bonus points were brought in after that because it was deemed to be a rather average competition that year. But let's even say England, you know, still, they came out of it, it's a fantastic bounce back. Jones is known as a bounce back coach. He's done that very well in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, halfway through last season, I was sort of defended him and went, mates of mine who, who played and managed and written uh, in the antipodes are saying you wait and see yeah there's moment, been a lot of people saying have, you yeah, wait and see uh, yeah. and I've got to say they, at the moment they look right and, and my position of six months ago looks very wrong I, I think um, I completely accept the point that I don't think the players have moved on they haven't improved I thought Owen Farrell's performance against Wales was one of the, the singly best individual performances 
of the championship because he he virtually carried England on on his own. But we already know what he can what he can do. Um, I think England have got a significant issue now with this tour coming up. They have got the they've got a collection of players who I think could produce something in the World Cup. But that, but I, I I take your point, Stuart, about where they are. Um, everyone's hanging a lot on. Billy Runa-Pola and the fact he's not there mm. as if he would have been he'd have singly made the big difference would have given them the, the go forward and, and the momentum and he, he's a massive player for them to lose and they don't have an understudy for him Nathan Hughes can carry well but, but doesn't no, do anything no, else he, he's been unfortunate at open side I would say with injuries to Underhill and Tom Curry I'm a big fan of, of what Tom Curry could do so he hasn't discovered an open side largely through injury so there are there are question marks over what what might be, but it, but it's still you're right. There's still a question of what might be. Well, here's the thing is though is that you can say, with 18 months to go, you can say that those star those players that have the capability of going one step and becoming world class, it's not out with the realms of possible that they'll do that. So let's see that they can do it. There's one thing that they need to pick up though from now and then, and there's been little evidence of it. Is whilst they've been performance have been going backwards, there hasn't been much evidence of them learning on the hoof. So you think of Scotland when how many times the ball was floated over a flying winger's head because he decided to bite too early. Or when they said our approach to the breakdown after being pinged here a couple of times should probably change. That's something that goes back to even yeah, when they played Italy the yeah. season before with yeah. the yeah. Fox. That idea well, that of goes not, back to Lanny's World Cup, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it stretches back a long, long way. And that's what we've not seen evidence of. So I, I, I refuse to believe that that's Marowatoji done or that uh, Vunapola can't come back and be a force that a lot of fans hope he will be. But people need to see in 18 months the evidence of this England team being a lot smarter on the field. I agree. I think that there was that Scotland game, John Bar- where, where Scotland did a job on England at the breakdown, John Barkley came in afterwards and said that hadn't been their plan. <laughs> they hadn't actually, despite having you know three players who play, who were who very good over the ball in, the, in their back row, um, Barkley, Watson and, and Wilson that actually hadn't been their plan to necessarily attack England there until there were three holding on penalties awarded in 10 minutes and they realised that this is the way that Nigel Owens is going to referee today and England can't and haven't adapted to it and no. so we will and very very straightforward that's, that's a coaching issue but it's also a cultural playing issue yeah. we are not good learners you said um, go back to the Lancaster regime we go back way before then. I mean, in England have not had a smart team since the team that won the World Cup. And and if, you know, if we're doing an autopsy here of the full Six Nations, you know, it'd be it'd be silly to go through this whole process right now and not give Ireland the credit they deserve for having that, being that they are they are an incredibly intelligent team. They've got that. And one of the other things is you can get bogged down with statistics and everything else, but the key thing is if you take Italy out of these six nations the only team that has won a game away from home this year has been Ireland and they did it twice that's the mark of a truly great team um, and so you've got to give Ireland the credit for being that intelligent team that so many other teams have to aspire to be there was a there was a great piece of analysis done by Murray Kinsella our friend our Irish uh, rugby journalist about the the try that CJ Stander scored on Saturday which was a a move that Joe Schmidt had had tried against England in 2015, and it didn't quite come off because Robshaw managed to to just grasp the the runner as he went through. They then put it in cold storage, tweaked it, and brought it out again three years later. Brilliant. Um, which is just which is just brilliant. And 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 they tweaked it, changed the, the personnel, 
added in an extra decoy with Jacob Stockdale, I think, running around the back. And then they had Tyg Furlong, tight head prop, as the pivot, picking out the pass to Bundyaki. And England were just were sliced open first phase ball. And it was, um, as a try, it was beautifully worked. But as a, as a try, it was conceived three years yeah. ago and, and then brought out at the right moment at the right time. You know, flip, I've already mentioned, flip that on its head. Inside to kick every penalty for touch with a, with a mall that can't go anywhere. Alex, quick answer: Can England be rescued for for World Cup glory? Sounds such a stupid question, doesn't it? <laughs> but but do you think the World Cup's gone? Okay, uh, I wouldn't say so this far out. But but they've got a hell of a lot of work to do. Alan, I think they've got players capable of working their way back into form, and then it just depends on who they're playing against. But winning it, I I agree with Stuart on that. I think they can't win it, but they can be a much improved side to become more fancied. For, for me, for me, they, they they can work their way back to form. So I can see some of these players can get back to where they were in 2016 or the Lions or whatever. But 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 from that base, they then had to move on so many other things, like how they attack and and how they think on on the hoof and that. And that's what should have been happening now. That mm. that's what they've missed out on. But in fact, they they've gone back and and so by going backwards in in performance levels, they haven't managed to to, to improve in the other bits. So England had a two-year hiatus. It looks likely they will play Wales or Australia in a quarter-final. Australia, we know, always time their runs. They've got a very smart coach in Checker, notwithstanding the 3-0 loss. They will be ready come the World Cup. And as I said before, if you, if you look man for man, England and Wales, Wales have got a lot of very good individuals, and Gatland seems very comfortable in his shoes in a way that Eddie Jones is not. You know, I, th- I think a while ago in the paper we were asked to say, weren't we, can England beat New Zealand? New Zealand in the semi-finals. Yeah. What, no, what, what was our team <laughs> we, for the semi-finals? We, we were getting slightly ahead of ourselves there. Yeah. Now, yeah. now the only question is, can they make the semi-finals? Uh, Alan, Alex, and uh, Barnsley, thanks very much indeed. Uh, that is the end of the autopsy. Thanks for listening to The Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. And Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner. And Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium-sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations Tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. 